You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in on this Tuesday podcast as my tripod on my desk falls down. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about court storming because yesterday, since it happened over the weekend, all the pundits had their say on what they think should happen. And it was a wide variety of opinions. But somebody I thought had the best opinion out there that I want to share with you guys. We're also going to talk about the NCAA tournament. March Madness coming up in three weeks. The NCAA already trying to butcher future seasons of March Madness. How about the Bulls Dynasty show? Remember when that came out during COVID? Have you seen what's happening now? It's kind of disturbing. And it really, really kills the nostalgia of that team. Johnny Manziel went on Shannon Sharp's podcast and just dropped every bomb in the book. It was unbelievable. Yesterday was an anniversary in one of the greatest sports moments ever. We'll go over that. And I've got a great statistic. With Marvin Harrison Jr. probably being taken top five in the draft coming up in April, I've got a great statistic on wide receivers going top five. We'll get to all that momentarily. This podcast is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to BetOnline today to become part of the team and remember to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, the game starts here. Let's talk a little more about court storming because since it happened over the weekend, yesterday was the first day for the pundits and the experts in college basketball to talk about it and give their opinions on what they think should happen. And there's been a lot of reaction to one of the main things that was said by one of the biggest voices, if not the biggest voice in college basketball, and that's Jay Billis. Jay Billis, the number one analyst for ESPN College Basketball, he said, let them all on the court, but then don't let them off. Everybody that's on the court, you rope it off once they get on there, and then you give them all citations or throw them in jail. Okay, Jay, I'm stunned that came from Jay Billis. Jay Billis is a lawyer. Do you really think, really, Jay, let's say 5,000 kids run on the court and party and jump up and down. You're really giving them all citations and or throwing them in jail for the night? 5,000 kids are just going to get out of there and be like, all right, you're staying the night in prison. Come on, Jay. I understand Jay is old school. I understand Jay graduated from Duke and the injury this past weekend happened to a Duke player. I get it, Jay. But come on. That screams get off my lawn. And Richard Jefferson called him out for it and said basically, Jay, that's ridiculous. We're not going to give citations to 5,000 students who stormed the court. That's utterly ridiculous. And it is. It's a horrible take. So then it becomes, all right, what are some of the suggestions? And the one suggestion I made yesterday was made by a couple of people on, on, on TV yesterday. Seth Greenberg said it. I think Sean Farnham said it, which was, let's just give a time limit. Let's start a countdown clock right when the clock hits zero for the game and the team pulls the upset or whatever. It doesn't even have to be an upset. I mean, Wake Forest, where the court storming was this past weekend, they were a two-point favorite over Duke on Saturday. So it's almost like, what are you doing running on the court? You were favored to win the game. But that's neither here nor there. 
it's probably because they they don't beat Duke very often, so they wanted to celebrate it. And they've said, let's start a countdown clock. Set it at 90 seconds. Set it at 60 seconds. But right when the clock hits zero, the main clock starts down, countdown from one minute or one minute and 30 seconds, plenty of time to get the visiting team off the floor, and then that clock hits zero again, and then everyone rushes. Or, as someone suggested, maybe instead of having them rush the court, it'll they'll allow the players to go into the stands and party with the students. I don't know necessarily about that. That doesn't seem kind of productive at all I have no problem with them coming on the court it's just a minute later what's the big difference the whole point is you're celebrating a big win and I think one of the points that was brought up yesterday I thought was a really good point was the fact that court storming actually is not something that's been going on for five years ten years I mean you can go all the way back to the 60s and 70s they even brought up the fact that when Notre Dame had their uh, UCLA had their streak broken by Notre Dame, everybody rushed the court. Then what was that? Fifty years ago, so it's always been a thing. This isn't something that just popped up recently. So why everyone's making a big deal out of it now because one player got injured? Look, I understand you don't want any injuries, but there's way to do this because I think the art of court storming, not the not the technical art of it, but just the idea of court storming is a major part of college sports because it happens in college football as well. And the best point I heard yesterday was made by Sean Farnham, former UCLA player, former guy I hosted a UCLA postgame show with back in the early 2000s. Haven't spoken to him in 20 years. I'd love to get him on the podcast, but he doesn't follow me on Instagram, so it's hard for me to, for, for him to see what I wrote him. Anyway. He made a great point yesterday because we all know that this thing was really brought to a head because of who it happened to and the fact that it happened to Duke and their coach called for when are we going to stop court storming. And Farnham brought up this point, which relates to Duke. Do you remember the first weekend of college football this year? What the biggest upset was? Duke at home beating Clemson. What happened after that game? Everybody at Duke stormed the field. Way more than can storm a basketball court. I'm telling you that. Did anybody bring up the fact that anybody at Duke was bothered by the fact that storming happened on that field? And if you're going to sit here and compare football to basketball, you're you're missing the point. The point is they're saying nobody should ever – fans should never be allowed on the field or the court. But now Duke is calling for, we got to stop court storming. Well, why weren't you calling for this back in August in that first weekend of college football season? They had the Monday night game when Duke upset Clemson at home and everybody in Duke Stadium ran on the field. So it's very hypocritical to say that now, unless you're just saying, well, the different sport. I don't buy the different sport thing. The whole argument is don't let people on the field or on the court. And Sean Farnham brought that up, and I was like, wow, totally forgot about that. But, yeah, not only is it relevant, it happened to Duke. And none of them, I mean, they. I remember them interviewing the head coach after the game. And they were asking him, and what was he saying? This is awesome. This is what college football is all about. As kids are running on the field, screaming and, and praising the players and jumping up and down behind the coach. It's what we love about college sports. I don't have a problem with it. I just think it needs to be regulated some way. So... One of the suggestions was that, you know, the one minute, 90 seconds, however you want to do it, then have them storm the court. There was the idea of letting the players go into the stands and celebrate with the fans. Not sure I'm a fan of that one. 
But then the third one they said was, okay, you want to find these people? $1 million. Because $100,000 means nothing right now to the SEC. That's what your school gets fined if you storm the court. They'll pay it if it's a big game and they want to win. It's like, great, we'll pay 100000 But what if you make it a million? Shit, what if you make it $5 million? <laughs> Just because if it's $5 million, I highly doubt anybody, they'll be in such fear of running onto that court that it's probably not going to happen. But honestly, thinking about it, I don't want them to end it. I just want them to regulate it. This seems to be an easy answer. You know, let's do that thing where we just say, hey, 90 seconds, 60 seconds. Let's just get everybody off the court from the visiting team. Just let them leave the court in peace. And then that countdown will go down. It'll still be like you're, you know, running on the court as the clock hits zero. I don't see any problem with that. I think that's what should be happening here. But I don't want to remove it from the game. I really don't because unless it's, you know, I only want to remove it from the game is if they're not going to regulate it and visiting team is still going to be on the court when players and fans are storming on. But it doesn't look like it. It looks like they will regulate it in some way. But let's just keep in mind, this, is, this has been going on for over 50 years. So let's not pretend that this is some new problem in college basketball because it isn't. It just is brought to the forefront because one of the major colleges in all, you know, probably the most recognizable college in college basketball, Duke, had a player that was injured, but it doesn't even look like he's missing any time. One other point I want to bring up about the NCAA tournament. Now the NCAA tournament, we've heard the rumblings. They want to expand. Obviously, more games equal more money, but I'm telling you, this idea that the NCAA tournament is going to go to 96 teams out of the, you know, right now we have 68 with the first four playing. Come on. Do we really need the ninth place team in the SEC making the tournament? I don't even know how the seating will work. I mean, it works out perfect right now. After those first four games on Tuesday and Wednesday, the tournament starts on Thursday. You got um, 16 games on Thursday, 16 games on Friday eight games on Saturday, eight games on Sunday. I mean, it fits perfect. Throwing on another 28 teams, does it? Is it necessary? I know it means more money, and this school and this sport is all about how much money can we make, but don't ruin a good thing. Unfortunately, I think they probably will, and we will go to 96 teams at some point. That just sucks. I'm sorry. It's perfectly laid out. The brackets are going to be all wonky. I don't need 96 teams. You really need, what, uh, 28? You need seven more teams in each region? So now you're going to have a 23, uh, you know, 1 to 16 right now. So what are you going to have? A 23-team region It's so or 24? So dumb. Let's stop this. It's ridiculous. Just let it play out. It's perfect the way it is. We know what we're getting every single time. Four regions. Each have seeds, 1 through 16. Very easy to figure it out. You win two games, you're in the Sweet 16. You win two more, you're in the Final Four. Do we really need to throw 96 in here? Come on, people. Let's bring you back. Let's bring us back to pre-COVID or right when COVID began. Wasn't fun times in this country, to say the least. And I've always said this. I didn't have a podcast back then that was daily. So unless you were reading my column, you probably don't remember me saying this. Everybody bring yourself back to March of 2020. To me, to me, the first 30 days of COVID seemed like it took a year. But once we got settled in, I should say we, most people, because my day-to-day operation did not change because 
I work from home. So it wasn't like, oh, wow, now I don't have to go into work and I'm going to get on Zooms at home. Like nothing really changed for me in my work, but I know it did for a lot of people. And it was just like, this is just so weird. And a lot of people were staying home and it was going slow. So even though for me, it was going slow for me because I just, I don't know, I felt everything around me was slowing down. But that first 30 days of COVID seemed like it took a year. But then everyone was like, oh, my God, you know, three, four, five, six months into this thing, everyone's like, oh, my God, I'm so bored. I mean, oh, it's taking forever. To me, everything got back to normal about after 30 days. Because here we are. We're four years removed from COVID now. It's it's pretty crazy to think of. Like, it, it does it seem like it was four years ago? To me, it kind of does. It's just everything got back to normal after that. But. What I'm saying is, at the time, in the sports world, that was the weirdest thing to me, is that Reddit was, when it, right when COVID was starting was when conference championship games and conference championship week was starting, and they shut it all down. They shut the NBA season down. Baseball players weren't going to go into training camp, or they were at training camp, so they had to be pulled out of training camp. It was just like, what are we doing in the sports world during this? Do you remember what the one saving grace was? That summer... Right after, I believe, the NBA Finals, they were going to show a 10-part series of the Chicago Bulls dynasty called The Last Dance. And when COVID hit, they decided, well, there are no sports on right now. We got to move this up. We got to have some compelling sports television on TV. And they moved it up to, I think, end of March, maybe beginning of April. But it wasn't supposed to debut until that summer. But because COVID hit and there were no sports, live sports going on anywhere, ESPN decided let's move it up and for those that watched it and you grew up in the 90s and you grew up watching the Bulls even if you weren't a Bulls fan just watching basketball during that day and watching Michael Jordan play it was a huge deal and I thought the and they thought the last dance the 10 episodes were really really good I enjoyed them I didn't go like in depth and try to explain oh is this accurate is it not it was just like I thought it was really good behind the scenes footage of what that team went through during their dominating years and their dynasty. Well, do you see what's going on now? Three players from that team, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, and Luke Longley, are going on a no-bull tour. They're literally going from city to city to basically trash the last dance and tell you everything that you didn't see in that documentary. Now look. I understand that Michael Jordan was basically the EP behind The Last Dance. So he wasn't going to make himself look bad, and he was going to have final say on everything that got shown. But that's a lot different than what Pippen and Grant and Longley are doing now. They're basically saying everything that you saw in that was bullshit. I, I, I haven't listened to what they have said, but they have a lot of negative things to say about it. And they're basically trashing the whole documentary. They don't like the fact that Michael had his hand behind the whole thing. And they're giving people who want to go out and listen to them talk a different experience about what being on those Bulls teams was like. So I don't know how much traction this is going to get. I just find it, it really sucks when 25 years later these guys want to say, no, we didn't like them. I'm sure they're trashing Michael is what it is. And it's just like, why can't we remember the Bulls teams or what they were? Like, you guys won six titles in eight years. Why are you coming out now and trashing the team and saying it wasn't fun or Michael was a, a Michael was a dick to play with? I don't know. It's just like, come on, guys. Is I, I mean, are you, are you that desperate for a buck? Is this a money thing? Why do you really need to set the record straight 25 years later 
and basically four years after the last dance, Scottie Pippen has been vocal in recent years about basically he can't stand Michael and he hates him and doesn't think Michael is any good. I mean, not like he's not any good, but he's not giving Michael his flowers, basically, and thinks other players are better than him and thinks LeBron's better than him. It's like Scotty played with him, but it's it's not coming off as it's coming off as pure jealousy. And I don't know what's gotten up Scotty Pippen's ass. Maybe it is the fact that his ex-wife is dating Michael's son. That could play a major role in why Scottie Pippen all of a sudden hates Michael Jordan. It's just, but just seeing it from the outside as a basketball fan in the '90s, I just, I think it sucks what's going on right now. And these three assholes are running around the country telling everybody it wasn't as good as you thought it was. Like, why? Why, guys? Like, do you have to basically piss in everybody's Cheerios here? Come on now. Speaking of, I don't want to say documentaries, but it comes from a documentary. Remember when Netflix aired the Manziel documentary and we heard all about his partying ways at Texas A&M? That doesn't even begin to touch the surface of what Johnny Manziel revealed in his interview with Shannon Sharp on Club Shay Shay, which is his podcast. I haven't listened to the whole thing. I think I watched two, they must have been five-minute clips on TikTok. I was so impressed with Manziel and the things that he said. I mean, he owned up to everything. Now, he did in the documentary as well. He wasn't trying to pretend like this guy wasn't out partying, he wasn't out chasing chicks and going for, uh, you know, taking as much money as he could and not even caring about practice, not showing up for practices, showing up drunk. He took it. He took full responsibility for that. But in this Club Shay Shay, I feel like we're getting more, and he's diving into a bit more of what it, what he was really doing. And he explains, you got to go listen to the podcast. Go search Club Shay Shay, find the Johnny Manziel one, and listen to it. It's so good, just in the 10-minute clips that I saw. So I need to go listen to it as well. But it's really interesting to hear him talk about the fact that he heard from A&M people that $45 million of Johnny Manziel number two jerseys were sold in the two years that he was there in college, and he gets a $700 stipend a month. That's why we're at where we're at right now in college sports, because it's never been fair. When the Fab Five was selling all their jerseys back in the day, were they seeing a penny of it? No. That's why Chris Weber was taking money under the table and giving it around to other players and other people, and he had that guy, uh, I forget his name off the top of my head, basically funneling money to him, because it it wasn't fair. I don't care. I don't care that your room and board is paid for. If your jersey and your likeness is being sold in a store and you don't get to collect not even 1% of those sales, something's seriously wrong with the system. Now you're allowed to do that. that. It's like this should have been done 30 years ago. So I have no problem with guys who back in the day were trying to get money under the table. I have no problem with it. I'm sorry. I, they should have been. Because they were providing all this money to the school and they didn't see a cent of it. And that's why things have changed now in college sports. They're allowing the players to do that. But Manziel on the podcast, those 10 minutes that I heard, again, he did not blame anybody else. He even said, even if I didn't win the Heisman, I think I was headed down this road. And basically talked about how clout and popularity was so addicting and how he was addicted to it. And he thought it would have happened regardless if he won the Heisman because this guy was doing everything he could and he was doing the same thing every week, partying on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 
walkthrough on Fridays. He said, I was drunk every single walkthrough on Friday, but was able to get through it. I basically sweat out my drinking from the night before. And then Saturday, we'd play our game. I'd play awesome. And I was realizing, well, it's clearly not affecting my play. And the very next week happened, same exact thing. Partied on Tuesday nights, partied on Thursday nights, sweated it out during the walkthrough, played awesome on Saturday. But then he gets to the NFL, and that's not the way it works. And he's like, yeah, I was completely – he goes, they're they're throwing me out there. They're telling me to read stuff and read this. I've never taken a snap under center before. I have no idea how to read an NFL defense. He's just like, I was, I was lost. And he goes, but it was because of the habits I had developed in college. It's fascinating stuff. And I'm so glad the guy is not trying to make excuses because he would look really dumb if he did. Um, yesterday was a major anniversary in the sports world, in case you don't remember. It was when, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but we've all seen the clip. If I said, if there's one bowling clip that's gone viral that you've seen as a sports fan, what do you think it was? <laughs> what, do you think that, what do you think that bowling clip is? Yes, that's right. Peter Weber getting a strike on his final roll and then saying, who do you think you are? I am. <laughs> and to this day, no the hell knows what he was yelling at, who he was yelling at, why. I think he said in an interview, there was a kid that was in the stands that was kind of heckling him, and that's who he was directing it to, but it didn't come out right. Yeah, you think so? Who do you think you are? I am. But he's so fired up. He's got on his goggles and he's pointing at himself. It was just one of the greatest clips. Basically, that happened yesterday. February 26th was the anniversary of that, and I loved being reminded of that. And finally, I've got something for you here when it comes to the NFL draft. We know that Marvin Harrison from Ohio State probably going in the top five, right? And everybody who's breaking down the NFL and the draft this year is saying, can't miss prospect, better than his dad, Anybody would be stupid to pass on him. He's the best receiver we've seen in 10 years coming out of this draft, yada, yada, yada. Here's a stat that I found that I thought was really interesting. There have been 22 wide receivers taken in the top five since the NFL merger. 22 top five wide receivers, or wide receivers taken in the top five. If I were to ask you how many of those 22 taken in the top five made the Hall of Fame, what would your answer be? Well, the answer is three. Do you know who they are? I'll give you three seconds. Three, two, one. Time's up. Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, and going in this year, Andre Johnson, mostly from the Houston Texans. Now, of those 22 wide receivers that were taken in the first five picks of their respective drafts, how many of them won a Super Bowl with the team that drafted them? You get one second for this one. One. The answer is zero. So does this mean that Marvin Harrison's going to be a bust? No. Does it mean that Marvin Harrison is never going to win a Super Bowl with, with, with whatever team drafts him? No. But it does mean that maybe you shouldn't be taking wide receivers top five. Harrison's going going to go top five. I think there's no doubt about that. However, that number pretty much shows wide receiver is kind of, it's a position where 
because we've seen so many other wide receivers who make it big that get drafted way later and don't have any hype around them, kind of goes to show that there's no guarantee taking a receiver in the top five, no matter how good you think he is, no matter how good his genes are. Obviously, he's the son of Marvin Harrison. But if you look at it, not one of the 22 wide receivers taken in the top five have ever won a Super Bowl with the team that drafted them. So basically, they're not an instant fix. And it will be interesting to see going forward if anything changes, how much this statistic holds. But I think it was, I thought it was really, really interesting. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review. Plus, you got to hit play. Downloads aren't good enough anymore. Just hit play. Pass it along to your friends. The Daily Roundup was posted an hour ago. Probably the biggest Daily Roundup of the season. If you're a Bachelor fan, you might want to tune into that one. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.